Acts chapter 16. We're going to begin reading in verse 11. And for those of you that are staring at your watch, we're actually right about on time of where we generally are on Sunday morning. So don't worry, we're going to be fine. Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 11. Stand with me in honor of God's word. So setting sail from Troas, we made a voyage directly to Samothrace, and, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, in a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much. Not only that Lydia would prevail upon Paul, but that the Holy Spirit would prevail upon us. That, Father God, you would save Lydia and so many others through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we gather on this Palm Sunday, may we expect the unexpected from the God who does all things well. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you recognize God's work? I named this sermon this morning, Unexpected Expectations. And believe it or not, this is at least the second sermon that I've ever preached with that same title. The first sermon I ever preached with that title, I preached at, at the First Baptist Church of Duncan, South Carolina. And in the process, I put it on a CD, and the search committee that hired me here actually heard that. It was probably the first sermon they ever heard me preach. Uh, but unexpected expectations. This is what Palm Sunday really is all about. As a matter of fact, this is what Christianity is all about. You think about it. What, what of Christianity is expected? You've got a child born of a virgin, a king born to a peasant, a ruler serving in an insignificant place. You've got a healer being crucified, a savior risen from the dead. Christianity is nothing if it is not unexpected turns of events over and over and over again. Constantly, God is interrupting the ordinary with the extraordinary, interrupted the expected with the unexpected, interrupting the mundane with the miraculous. This is the picture of Christianity. This is Jesus Christ breaking into the world with hope and salvation. And as we gather this Sunday morning for Palm Sunday, as we look toward Easter, we're going to see another story of God's unexpected interruption into what was otherwise a relatively ordinary experience. We're going to see God's unexpected interruption into what Paul expected to be a rather ordinary mission experience. And we're going to see that as a result in the process of all of those things, that God is going to work a great plan. Three things that we're going to, I think, that jump off the page in this passage of Scripture that I hope that you can hang your hat on this morning as we consider what it looks like to live with unexpected expectations. The first thing is that we need to live in obedience. We need to live in obedience. Now, here in this passage of Scripture, we got Paul going to Philippi. Now, Philippi is, as, as the Bible tells us right here, was a city in uh, the district of Macedonia. Philippi was actually uh, the site where Brutus and Cassia were uh, defeated after the, the, the murder or, I guess, assassination of Julius Caesar. Uh, Philippi was an interesting city. Oh, y'all are behind me. i got to remember that. 
Philippi was an interesting city because it was a it was a, a Roman colony set aside as sort of a retirement community for Roman soldiers. They would go there after they had served their time in the military. And so this is the city that Paul and his traveling companions find themselves in. Now, if you'll remember, they're only in Philippi because God wouldn't allow them to go anywhere else. Remember, we looked at that last week. We threw a, a map up on the screen last week. Paul wanted to go this way or that way, and none of those were options. Instead, where were they to go? They were to go to Macedonia to Europe and so it's in this place that Paul finds himself with the very first opportunity to preach the gospel in the, the region of Mas or in Macedonia in the region of uh, or in the city of Philippi and there in that place we have an incredibly unexpected experience but it's only possible because Paul is living in obedience. Y'all do you want to experience God do some unexpected extraordinary things in your life? I want you to be reminded that God visits you in the extraordinary opportunities because you're living in obedience in the normal, regular, everyday experiences of your life. Paul had an opportunity to minister to Lydia because he obeyed God's command to go to Macedonia. Now look. Obedience, an obedient life positions you to participate in God's plan. That's pretty good alliteration right there. I hope you all write that one down. I worked hard on that sentence. Obedience positions you to participate in God's plan. What had Paul done? He had obeyed God's call to go. Y'all, do you want to do some pretty awesome things, then you've got to begin by just obeying. Now, there's some pretty awesome little hints that exist in this passage of Scripture. The first thing that we read about here is that Lydia was from a place called Thyatira. Raise your hand if you know where Thyatira is. That's right, you don't. Let me tell you something. Oh, I like that. Teacher's pet. That's good. Um, where, where's Thyatira? Thyatira, if you were to look in your Bible, there's some maps usually in the back. If you look in the maps or if you were to Google that, you would discover that Thyatira is a small city in Asia Minor. What does that mean? That means that Lydia was from the place that Paul was trying to go. Lydia was from the place that Paul was trying to get to to preach the gospel. Do you understand that because Paul was obedient in that moment, because Paul was obedient to what God had told him to do, that God actually sent him to the place that Lydia was going to be? Paul was essentially sharing the gospel message with those who were from Asia Minor in another place. How many of you have ever had the opportunity to speak to somebody, maybe in your hometown, that came from another country? Another country like, you know, North Carolina or New York? Um, how many of y'all had those opportunities? Right? The Lord sometimes brings the nations, the world to us. Sometimes the Lord allows us to minister to a different culture right in our own backyard. How many of you have ever had the opportunity to do something that looked like that? Well, that's what happens right here. Paul's trying to get to Asia. God says, don't go to Asia. And some of you are going, why wouldn't God want the gospel preached in Asia? Well, part of the reason possibly is because God sent Asia to Philippi so that Asia could hear the gospel message in Philippi. And imagine what might have been able to happen through Lydia. To be able to go back and minister to her family members there in Asia. Some of you... Some of you have heard the gospel and the first person in your family to come to Christ. And God saved you not only to take you home to be with Him, but God saved you so that you can be a missionary to the family that you came from. 
Some of you need to leave Philippi and run back to Thyatira every once in a while and proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are opportunities as you live in obedience, God puts you in a position to be able to participate in His plan. And it's possible that the plan that God has for you is to have heard the gospel somewhere else so that you can go back to the place you came from and carry the good news of Jesus Christ. I don't know if y'all know this, but next week's Easter. Pretty excited about it. It's kind of a big deal, right? Some of y'all are going to gather with your family members on Easter. Some of y'all need to look for opportunities as you gather with your family members on Easter to share with them the hope of Jesus Christ. The good news of this risen Savior. Some of you have an open door to go to mama's house and hang out with your cousins and your sister. And when you get there, you need to make sure you wear your church clothes so you got a good excuse to explain to them what Christ did for you and what he did for them. On Good Friday and Easter Sunday. When we live in obedience, we have an opportunity to participate in God's plan. But not only do we have opportunities, as we live in obedience, we've got to learn to trust the process. Imagine, Paul, I want to go to Asia. Right? What if he just looked at God and said, no, no, I want to go to Asia. How many of y'all have ever been there? But that's what I want to do. Any of y'all ever tried to do something in your life and the process just didn't seem to work out the way you wanted it to? You wanted to get there yesterday... But the process of you getting there took a little while longer than you would have desired. You you just need to trust the process, trust the plan. Paul didn't get to go to Asia. God, I want to go. And God says, no. Does that scare y'all? I'm sorry. If y'all can't participate properly, y'all aren't going to sit back there anymore. Y'all can be there at least one more week because we need your seats. Y'all can't sit out here next Sunday. We've got to have the room, but uh, I just don't know. <laughs> um, but, but look, it's not just that Paul didn't get what he expected when he tried to go to Asia. Paul didn't get what he expected when he got to Macedonia. The Bible says that they went and they sat down by the river looking for an opportunity that, where they supposed there would be a place of prayer. Why didn't they just do? What was Paul's general pattern? Paul's pattern was to actually go to the synagogue, and they're in the synagogue to preach and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ until they got mad at him and they ran him out. And once they ran him out, then he'd go and he'd preach in other places. But when he got to Philippi, he didn't go to the synagogue. Why didn't Paul go to the synagogue? Because there wasn't one. Okay? There wasn't one. He couldn't go. He couldn't get in because there wasn't one. Why was there not a synagogue? This is important. Now, I want you to remember where Paul was. Paul was in a colony full of retired Roman soldiers. He's there at like the Macho Man's Club, right? This is where Paul has arrived. And he walks in, and there is no Jewish synagogue, and this is why. For there to be a Jewish synagogue, there had to be at least 10 Jewish men to constitute the forming of a synagogue. So low on the totem pole were Jewish women in this particular situation. You couldn't take nine men and ten women and do a synagogue. You had to have ten Jewish men, period, to form a synagogue. The reason that they went out to meet by the river at a place where they supposed there would be a place of prayer is because there were not enough men in the city seeking the Lord to constitute a gathering of God's people. There weren't God-fearing men in this city. Paul was not used 
to ministering in this kind of context. Do you understand? Paul's used to showing up and going into the synagogue and preaching to the men and preaching to the women, but he's got all these opportunities. And instead, he gets here, and the Bible says they go, they sit down by the river, and as they gather around, all these women show up. And Paul has interrupted the women's Bible study. And there Paul proclaims the, go- the, the good news, the gospel. Do you think that in this moment, Paul is still kind of stomping his foot just a little bit? God, I wanted to go to Asia, and instead you sent me to a Better Homes and Gardens meeting. God, I don't know how to minister to these people. God, I don't know how to do this. Have you ever been in that place where God sent you somewhere and you said, Lord, I don't know if I can do this. God put you in a situation and you said, Lord, I don't know if I can do what you have called me to do. Folks, do you know that it's in those places that you have to be the most dependent upon the Lord? That you've got the greatest opportunities. Imagine that Paul just looked up and said, God, I don't know how, but Lord, I hope you'll do something. God, I don't know what I'm going to do, but Lord, I'm going to trust that you are going to do something in this moment, in this place, in this time. Paul's maybe still stomping his foot. I don't know. Paul's Paul's probably not because Paul's obviously much more faithful and godly than I am. And so Paul's trusting the process and he says, Lord, I don't know what you're going to do, but God, I'm going to go and I'm going to preach anyway. And when he preached, something wild happened. This woman named Lydia got saved. Remember Lydia from Thyatira? Imagine that Paul preaches and she's like, wow, I want to get saved. And he goes, where are you from? He says, Thyatira. And Paul says, you've got to be kidding me you got to be kidding me. I was on my way there until God turned me around. Imagine the story. Any of y'all have a story like that? You were on your way somewhere until God turned you around. Next thing you know, God put your feet in a different direction. Put you on a path to glory and salvation and opportunities and hopes. When you were on a path to destruction, Paul was on his way to Asia. God turned him around. And when he got to Asia, Asia was waiting. Or when he got to Europe, Asia was waiting on him in Europe. He didn't know it, but he was on his way to Lydia. But Lydia had left. Paul got there and he preached. And the Bible says that Lydia got saved. And then something crazy happens. As Lydia gave her life to Christ, the Bible says that Lydia's whole household gave her life to, to, to Christ. You want to talk about the unexpected right here? We've got to learn to expect the unexpected. And the unexpected in this place continues to turn over and over and over again. Because the unexpected, first of all, is there were no men for him to preach to. The unexpected, second of all, was that these women gave their life to Christ. The unexpected, third, is this woman looked at Paul and says, Hey! Here's what I want to do. I want you to come and preach to my whole household. I want to make sure that everybody I know hears this message. The Bible says that when they came, they preached to her whole household. They were all converted. Now, we don't know who lived in her whole household. More likely than not, she was widowed or or had never married because of the simple fact that, that she's the only one mentioned. But she had a household. That means there were children or there were servants. There were employees. There were other people that she had control over. She had domain over that she was influencing. And Paul took the, or she took Paul to her house. And Paul preached the message. In that place, people got saved. And then she says, you know what, Paul? I, I want to support this ministry. I believe in it enough. That here's what I want to do. I want to put y'all up in my house as long as you're going to be here. Folks, at this point, everything's going wrong in Paul's life. You understand? The only thing that's going right is the gospel. Everything else is completely confused and messed up. Paul says, okay, so Lord, you've sent me to a place where there are no men to minister to. You've given us our very first convert. She's a woman. Do you want to know about some of the things God does unexpectedly over and over and over again in the New Testament? What do we see? Women are the first people that come to Christ. They're the first people that God does a work in. Ladies, you've got an important part to play. You've got an important part. You've got women who are the first ones at the tomb. 
And what did Jesus say? He gave them the message. You go back and you tell my disciples. The very first missionary, who was she? She was a woman with all sorts of husbands and trashy background. And the Lord says to her, you go and tell people about this Messiah that you've met right here beside the well. The very first convert in Europe is a woman. And God saves her. The Bible says in this particular passage that um, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what, Paul, what was said by Paul. The Lord is at work here, grabbing her heart, convicting of her sin, and showing her the glories of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul has got to be so incredibly confused. This is a Gentile proselyte, a God-fearer, who was not of Jewish origin, and yet God chooses for this to be the very first person to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then she becomes... She becomes a sponsor for this small church that's going to develop at Philippi. This church that Paul is going to fall in love with. We're going to read the book of Philippians. And it is a wonderful book as Paul writes about his love for the church. The way they responded to his love. Folks, we need to expect the unexpected. It's appropriate that we would preach this sermon on Palm Sunday. Because if you don't know about Palm Sunday... Palm Sunday is, is a story of God's unexpected interruption into the world. You see, some of y'all are relatively new to Christianity, and as a result, I need to remind you what Palm Sunday is all about. Palm Sunday is the Sunday. It's the Sunday when we remember Jesus' arrival into Jerusalem. Jesus dies on Good Friday. That's why we honor Good Friday. But he arose, he arose, he arose arrived, arrived into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. We call it Palm Sunday because when Jesus got there, the Bible teaches us that they waved palm branches and they laid them down on the road. They celebrated his arrival. They took their coats off and they threw them down so that when Jesus came, he would arrive as a king. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But it was completely unexpected. Nothing about it fit within their expectation. The only thing that seemed right was the fact that the Messiah showed up and came into Jerusalem. But he didn't come seated on a white horse. He didn't come as a conquering king. He came, king, he came as a suffering servant riding a donkey. This is Jesus not coming in look, saying, look at me, I'm here to overthrow the Roman government. He comes in as a suffering servant. Completely unexpected and unanticipated. The people were awaiting a Savior who would throw off the shackles of Roman oppression. And instead, Jesus came as a servant to, su servant to suffer and die on their behalf. Folks, we got to be willing to expect the unexpected in our Christian life. Listen to me. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, even if you do not know the way. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, even if you do not know the way. This is what the Christian life has to be understood to be. God is going to occasionally blow your mind. Everything is going to get cr crazy and, 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 and upside down. God's going to do something and you're going to say, I didn't see that coming. What, what, what is our responsibility? If I, how can I expect the unexpected? You say, Craig, that sounds like that's impossible. And to some degree it is. This whole expect the unexpected simply means that we're going to walk in faith because we know where we're headed. We just don't know exactly how we're going to get there. 
We know that ultimately we're going to find ourselves in the presence of the Lord. We know that ultimately we're going to find ourselves serving and doing ministry for Him. We just don't know how we're going to get there. So we're going to trust God in the process as He walks with us. God doesn't exist within the box you've imagined for Him. And, and let me just be transparent here. He doesn't exist within the box I've imagined for Him either. Right? Sometimes when I preach to y'all, it can seem like I'm just throwing all these things at you. The truth of the matter is that God preaches these things to me before I ever get to y'all. So like during the week, as I'm working through these things, I'm just getting beat over the head with it. And I'm being reminded that unintentionally, just like you all do and have, I unintentionally do and have constructed a box that God sort of exists inside. See, in my world, God does a certain thing in a certain way. Right? Now, some of you might not be quite as rigid as me. Maybe for you, God exists inside like a sphere. Or maybe God exists in sort of a, a triangular prism or something. I don't exactly know how it is, but I do know this. If we're not careful, we all construct images of who God is or who He should be. Do you know what my image of God generally looks like? He's about six foot one, somewhere in the neighborhood of about 220 pounds. Very pale, right? Freckles, you know, grayish hair. This messed up beard, right? That, that, that's right. That, see, my image of who Christ is looks like my reflection. You see, the idol, and that's what it is that I create, looks like me. Acts like me. Thinks like me. Like, to me, Jesus probably uses like a lot of gym illustrations and stuff like that. Drinks black coffee. I mean, as all godly people should. I mean, this is what we do. We, we construct a box. What do you do when God blows that box up? See, that's the reality. He doesn't exist in the box. He's the God over the box. He's the God who has actually created my intellect that gives me the ability to create all these mental structures in which He could exist. Romans 1 teaches us this, that God is the creator, but yet we, in our sinful estate, have actually taken and turned the creation into the thing that we worship. We create all these images over and over and over again. Folks, we've got to be willing to expect the unexpected. See, when I talk about idolatry, most of the time we think about that thing that you might bow down before. If I were to say that money's an idol, y'all would say, amen, yeah, money can be an idol. Or if I said this, or I said that. Remember a few weeks ago I said your kids can be an idol, and some of y'all shot me eye darts, remember that? Um, I haven't forgotten. I'm still bleeding. Um, you see, as long as I mention something that doesn't get too close to your own heart, then it's easy to agree with. When we get close to that, it's hard. But we all have this tendency to create these idols, this, this image of what God should be or should do. Is there something in your life that, that you think, man, if God did that, I just wouldn't be able to buy into it? Every, everyone that hears that goes, well, that's not me. I, trust me, we all have it. I don't know what mine is, and you don't know what yours is. But we all have it. We all have this thing in our life that if God did that, we would just have to step back and say, ah, I don't know about that. Well, let me back up. Here's what would happen. If, somebody, if we knew God did it, we'd be okay. But if, if something crazy happened, you're stepping back and you're going, wait a minute. I don't think that. I, that doesn't fit for me. That doesn't really work for me. 
Paul's ministry in Europe began at a women's Bible study by the river. I'm just going to tell you all something. If I call home, I say, Angela, honey, I've been doing some foreign missions. Came to this women's Bible study down by the river, preached. All these women got saved. We went back to this one woman's house, and like everybody in her house got saved, and she wants us to spend the night. I'm going to tell you, that don't fit inside some boxes around here. All you wives are going, yeah, that don't fit in my box either. They don't fit in your box. Okay? Folks, we got to be willing. What, what if God just, let, 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 me, let, me, let me rephrase it. Let's not ask this as a question. Let me say this. If God were to send revival among us, watch, it would not be the way we expect. Some of you individually would have your lives turned upside down. Okay? I've said this to you before. Some of y'all, when God gets a hold of you, he's going to ask you to sell something. You're going to sell a business. You're going to sell a house. You're going to sell possession. You're going to give things away. Because God's going to change everything. So live in obedience. Expect the unexpected. Third, this one is celebrate God's work, even if it is not what you would have done. Has God ever surprised you? Has God ever surprised you? Now, now, here's the real honest question. How many of you ever got a surprise from God and you didn't like it? <laughs> Who was that in the back? So, oh, <laughs> yeah, I got it. It hurt. I didn't like it at all. Right? Now, you learn to love it because you realize over time that, that his way is better. But has God ever surprised you? Yeah, we get that. This had to be a surprise to Paul. I'm going to Asia. Everything's going to be good. No, you're not. And he goes, well, that's where I wanted to go. The Bible says immediately they got in their boat, and they, went, or they found a boat, they got to Macedonia, and they got there, and Paul has to think, well, God, I've arrived to all the people that you prepared to hear the message. And they start looking around, and they realize, wait a minute, there ain't a lot of people here to hear the message. Do you imagine it? Maybe some of Paul's traveling companions looked around and said, whoa, this isn't what we're used to, guys. Luke, who had just signed up for the journey, Luke, maybe, maybe Luke's like me. Luke's looking around going, uh, I thought there was like a big mission thing for us to do here, and we got nothing but a women's Bible study down by the river. Paul, this isn't what I signed up for. Folks, are you willing to celebrate God's work even if it's not what you would have done? This is one of the problems that happened in Jerusalem when Jesus arrived. They were looking for a different kind of Savior than they got. Are you willing to take what God gives you, believing that God's ways are going to be best? Look, look for the people God has sent to work His will in your life. This is what happened in Paul's situation. The people that God sent to do his ministry in Philippi was Lydia and her companions. Lydia and her household. Who was the household? Again, probably servants and children. These are the first converts. This is the beginning of the church. These are not people in Caesar's household. These are women and children and servants. And this is who God has sent to be the beginning of church. Y'all, are you willing to look around for the people that God has sent to work His will, even if they might not be who you would have chosen? Watch this. If God picked them, if God chose them, if God appointed them and called them, they have far more potential than anybody you could have selected. Look for the people that God sent to work His will. They might not always look like what you expect. They might not think the way you think. 
But God has a purpose for them. So look for them. Because watch, God's way will always be better than your way. Do you know that when I first typed this sentence, I put, God's way will often be better than your way? I looked at it and immediately erased the whole thing and said, Craig, what are you doing? No, God's way will always be better. Always. There will never be a point in time when you're going to look back and you're going to go, wow, God, you really messed up on that one. You know, there's going to be a lot of times in my life when I look back and go, I wish I hadn't done that. There's a lot of times in my life where I have to look at people and say, you know what, your idea was better than mine. There's a lot of times when I can look back and go, boy, that was a huge mistake. That was a wrong turn. There will never be a point in time when you will look back and say, God, if I'd only listened to me instead of you, things would have worked out better. Do I understand even today why it is that Lydia and her household were the best option for starting this new work in Europe, in Macedonia, there, especially right there in the city of Philippi, I have absolutely no idea. I don't know why God didn't just let Paul go on to Asia and then go on about his business later on and make it to Philadelphia. I, or excuse me, Philippi, I have no idea. But here's what I know I know that his way was better than mine. That's what I know. That's what I trust. See, that's the way of Palm Sunday. And it's the story of Easter. Is it the way I would have done it? No. Because it would have never occurred to me to have loved so radically. To have given so dearly. To have arranged a plan that would secure the salvation for everybody on the face of the planet. Who would call the name of the Lord. You see like. Those first century Jews. I would have been focused on me. And on the people around me. On the people that I knew. I would have been focused on throwing off. The chains of Roman oppression. And making my life better. And it would have never occurred to me. That there could be a plan. That could give me eternal life. And could give eternal life. To the entire world. Palm Sunday is one of the most unexpected holiday observances in the world. But what? It only gets trumped by Easter, right? It's only in the Christian faith that the death of our Savior could become a Friday that we call good. Because it's only Christianity that is constantly surprising us with the unexpected. And the unexpected continues to happen because it's only Christianity that has been written from before the history of the world by the finger of the Creator God who would know far better than we exactly everything we need. So would you recognize God's work today? Do you imagine it must have been challenging for Paul to recognize God's work in that moment? Imagine it must have been difficult for Dr. Luke to have recognized God's work in that moment. For Silas and Timothy to understand what God was doing, it was nearly impossible for first century Jews to understand what God was doing when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. 
And for some of you, it is next to impossible for you to understand what God's doing in your life. My question for you is this. Would you today be willing to see God's work? Do you see Jesus today? Would you be willing to follow Christ today? Even if you can't see the next step. Paul went all the way to Philippi because God told him to go with no idea what God was going to do when he got there. How many of you are willing to take that next step in faith, trusting that whatever tomorrow brings in God's will, you will be okay? Do you see Jesus today? Would you see Jesus? In my home church, on the pulpit there, the pulpit that I cut my teeth preaching, there was a, a little plaque, I guess, for lack of a better term. And it was a reminder. It said, Sir, we would see Jesus. In the first 30 or 40 sermons of my life, Every time I preached, I saw that little plaque. Sir, we would see Jesus. It never occurred to me until recently that even though that would be the prayer of every preacher that ever stood behind that pulpit, that the people who heard him preach would desire to see Jesus, it never occurred to me. There, there are those who show up every Sunday morning who don't actually desire to see Jesus, at least not the Jesus of the Bible, but instead only the Jesus of their own comfortable situation. So I ask you this morning, would you see Jesus? Even if seeing Him completely upended everything you've ever expected. Would you see Him today? Knowing that in that vision, you can have eternal life. As our musicians come today, would you come to Christ?